On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we celebrate the world-class wonders, wide-open spaces and unforgettable hospitality of the Great South. We lace up our hiking boots in Fiordland, revel in road trip glory in the Catlins and savour the stunning wealth of attractions across Southland. Welcome to the Great South. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Mike Yardley. And I'm Chris Lynch. Now, on this edition, we take a deep dive with the great South Fiordlands and Southland. And if you're planning a summer road trip, we'll also head to the Catlins. But this edition, it's all about kind of wide open spaces, things to do, not too many people around as we can try and cope with this new environment. Well, I think you've summed up the brilliance of the Catlins from the outset, Chris, because it really is a road tripper's dream. Meandering roads, lonely roads rolling through a medley of picture-perfect landscapes and the most amazing seas- uh, seascapes with that roaring Southern Ocean crashing in to the coastline. Um, so this is down on the southeast of the South Island. It is like a world unto its own, and you've got the most dramatic coastline, beautiful meadows, ancient rainforests, waterfalls, of course, and um, the most heart-stirring wildlife as well. And from the Balclutha side of the Catlins is Nugget Point, the first major, uh, well, I suppose it's the attraction, isn't it, on this touring route? It is. An unmissable stop, really, and it's a spectacular landmark in its own right. I actually reckon when you walk up that Razorback Ridgeline on the walkway to the lighthouse on Nugget Point, it kind of looks a wee bit like China's Great Wall because you've got these sheer cliffs on either side. And as you look down, you can just see fur seals, elephant seals, sea lions all snoozing on the rocks. Um, And adjacent to Nugget Point, they've got a very important Impressive colony of both blue and yellow-eyed penguins, which can be viewed late in the day at a lovely little cove next door uh, called Roaring Bay. Like the sound of that, that's for sure. Now, there are some incredible things to look at along the way as well, like waterfalls and blowholes along this route. But tell us, you got a bit lost in the gypsy gallery. (laughs) Oh, man, the lost gypsy gallery. You'll find this at a place called Papatowai, and it is seriously outrageous. Uh, The artist and tinkerer extraordinaire behind it is a guy called Blair Somerville. And it all began really with Blair collecting scrap from the beach, thinking, I'm sure I can make something out of this. And you really do have to go to this gallery to uh, just get a sense of how extraordinary his creations are. He calls it electricery. It's automata, really kooky, moving contraptions. And to give you an idea, he's created things like a sheep skeleton riding a bike. As you do. (laughs) As you do. Um, A tin whale that you hand crank into life, and on it goes. It's sort of Python-esque in some ways, and then... Uh, You've got the main gallery, which is housed in a converted house bus, and then the adults-only gallery, uh, which Blair calls the theatre. And this is where his most extravagant creations are housed. Uh, It is so amazing that Te Papa have been trying to get their dibs on Blair's marvellous creations. He has resisted that, but he is planning a national tour next year with all of his goodies. 
Fair enough. I look forward to that. Now, Curio Bay, mm. uh, you really liked this place, didn't you? My curiosity was fully aroused at Curio Bay. And, um, Steady on. It is the most extraordinary old petrified forest uh, that you can see on the Bay's rocky shelf that dates back over 180 million years. So we are talking Jurassic-era trees that you can see petrified tree stumps, trunks, fern imprints, and they were all preserved by silica in the ashy floodwaters that submerged this forest uh, in the debris of, of a volcanic eruption. And to cut a long story short, after that volcanic eruption, the forest grew back only to be covered again by another volcanic eruption. So when you look at these preserved trees, it is remarkable to think that when they actually stood up, there was no bird life. Bird life had not emerged in the world when these trees were standing. Okay, and there's also a great gallery nearby too, Mike. <clears throat> there is. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, just adjacent to uh, the petrified forest at Curio Bay. They've got this magnificent new gallery called uh, Tumatoka Curioscape. And it is like an interactive state-of-the-art museum experience. It's only 10 bucks to go in. And you'll just come away with a much greater understanding of the forces of nature at play, which I have referred to with, you know, the volcanic activity and so forth. Curio Bay is also home to yellow-eyed penguins. They really are the stars of the Catlins, these penguins, and um, they will often appear out of the surf late in the day at Curio Bay. It never ceases to amaze me, Chris, when you look at these penguins, how human-like some of their behaviours are as they sort of waddle out of the sea like shoppers at a mall uh, doing a bit of a Christmas shop with Chris Lynch. Plenty of waddlers around at the mall, that's for sure. What's, <laughs> where's a great place to stay? Well, I would have to say that trying to knock off <clears throat> all of the great sights of the Catlins in one day will sell you short. So take your yeah. time overnight um, and spread it out over a couple of days. I would definitely recommend staying at Catlins Mohua Park, which is close to Owaka on the Belclutha side of the Catlins. Uh, Lyndon and Jill McKenzie head this up, and they are just the most wonderful hosts. They also operate magnificent scenic and wildlife tours, and um, they've got these beautiful eco-cottages enrobed by lush rainforest on their property uh, with the most gorgeous views across the Catlins River Valley. I was lulled to sleep by bar bar lambs in the neighbouring paddock and um, all of the, the evening native bird life calls. It is just gorgeous. And watching those rolling hills outside your cottage getting gilded by the slumping sun is quite nice. something. Yeah, There are also quite good guided tours too. Yeah, I think this is the cherry on top of the stay at uh, Mohua Park because um, they do a sunrise tour, which includes going to see the yellow-eyed penguins when they're out breakfasting at sea. Um and they also do a beach, bush and waterfall tour, which is sort of like a highlights parade of all of the great sites on in the Catlins. I also uh, opted for what Lyndon calls the coastal ATV experience. So this is a really rollicking ride in a Can-Am ATV. It's actually through private farming property at uh, Tahakopa Bay. So you'll actually see stuff that the general public do not see. And you're riding high on the clifftops of this farm. And then Lyndon took us to this private waterfall, which will take your breath away. It is a sensational tour.
You're with Kiwi Tripsters. Let's head to Fiordland now. Tramping season is underway. This to me is if I'm some big tramper, but uh, we'll get there one day. Um, there are some great walks, Mike. What do you what do you recommend for uh, for somebody who's wants to pretend to be a tramper? <laughs> well, there are plenty of options. The key thing is that. Um, you will really struggle to get a booking on the Milford track. That's pretty much booked out if you're an independent walker. So that's the most popular of the three great walks. It's already booked out, uh, which is a good sign because I know a lot of tourism operators in Fiordland were really dismayed Mm. that Aussies are not going to be able to head over here over summer. Um, But at least Aucklanders, of course, are able to lace lace up Mm. their hiking boots and head to Fiordland. There were thousands of cancellations from Auckland during lockdown um, about their summer bookings, but now thousands and thousands of bookings are being made from December 15 on. Isn't that great? Yeah. It just kind of shows that... God, this sounds cheesy, but we are rediscovering our own country, well, you know? when I was down there a couple of weeks ago, what really impressed me is how many university students, bright-eyed, perky university students, were heading off, you know, to knock off a great walk. And I thought it's fantastic that, that great? young Kiwis are embracing the wilderness. Yeah. We can't go to the Gold Coast, so we're yeah. doing our own backyard, which I think is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, any other sort of samplers you want to recommend? Well, this is a really good option, particularly with the likes of the full Milford track booked out over summer. If you fancy doing a wee taster, a wee flavour of... Sampler. A wee sampler. A wee summer sampler. Sounds like a Griffin's ad uh, of Fjordland's Great Walks. What you can do is hook up with a company called Trips and Tramps. They offer a stunning range of taster experiences, which are one-day sampler walks on the Milford, on the Rootburn and the Kepler. And they're fully guided, they're small groups, and it's a really good appetiser of Fiordland's Wonderland. They also do customised tours as well. But we'll talk to Steve from Trips, uh, Trips and Tramps shortly for more details. Now, Doubtful Sound is one of our great day excursions. Uh, how is the weather for that? <laughs> well, it's a really good question because when I headed there a fortnight ago, I had a night of torrential sheet rain and it was still raining buckets when I woke up and headed down to Lake Manapori to get across to uh Doubtful sound. And this is all part of that wonderful day excursion that real New Zealand do. Needless to say, because of all the rain, I have never seen so many waterfalls in my life, Chris. When we were driving through Wilmot Pass, uh, which is between Lake Manapori and Deep Cove at Doubtful Sound, the hillsides were just absolutely at full power with these gushing waterfalls, which look like vertical rivers raining down uh, those hillsides through dense rainforest. And then in Doubtful Sound, there were just hundreds and hundreds of these waterfalls, sort of like garlands, Christmas garlands, streaking down the granite rock walls with the most astounding force. And we called into an arm off Doubtful Sound called Crooked Arm, where some falls let rip with the brute force of fire hydrants. Others were like really gentle but wide watery curtains tinkling down from hanging valleys. It really is amazingly elemental. And accentuating the theatre at this time of year, the southern rata trees who are starting to unveil their crimson coats just in time for Christmas. Nice. Did you see much wildlife? Oh, 
I was so lucky on the day I went out there. It was like a rolling highlights reel of Fiordland's greatest hits. So we saw the fur seals, we saw frisky pods of bottle-nosed dolphins, and they were sort of expected. But the real thrill, uh, we got some up-close uh, up sightings of the Fiordland crested penguin. These guys mm. are really cool. They've got this distinctive yellow stripe. It looks like a gash over each eye. And we watched this loved up couple of penguins preparing their nest on Shelter Island, which is right at the entrance to the Tasman Sea. Um, and then while we were having um, uh, some admiration time with these penguins, there was a frenzy on the boat and some passengers had spotted two humpback whales who had just headed into Doubtful Sound from the Tasman Sea. And these two humpback whales turned on quite the acrobatic show, flicking their tail. I mean, it didn't look like they were sort of skitey whales, perhaps rehearsing for Cirque du Soleil, but it was absolutely the highlight. Now, you're also talking before about the likes of a float plane. Did you experience that? Oh, wow. If you've ever fancied... Uh, checking out uh, Fiordland from above on a seaplane, on a float plane, Wings and Water is the go-to operator and they offer a variety of sightseeing tours. Uh, and upon takeoff, it's the immensity of Lake Tiano which really smacks you in the chops and the variety of fjords jutting off uh, the western flank of the lake. It's vividly illustrated uh, from your window seat on board one of these float planes. We had a really beefy nor'wester kicking up while uh, I was taking my sightseeing flight, so there was plenty of bounce, particularly when you pass over those fjords. But the scenery is just so sweet. Those mm. mountains, the water, the lush countryside. Um, so I was more than happy to put up with a few pockets of turbulence. Where's a good place to stay? Well, if you like your accommodation, Chris, served yes. with a big slice of history and a bit of quirk, Tiano Lodge is pretty hard to beat. Now, the reason for that is you have a variety of options. The lodge house itself was a former nun's convent, right? And it was cut up into four pieces and hauled to Tiano from nightcaps in Southland. My favourite room in Tiano Lodge is the breakfast room because it was the former chapel. So as you sit down to your poached eggs, you are just surrounded with stained glass splendour. It is amazing. And then, set across its sprawling grounds, um, the owners of Tiano Lodge have gone a bit quirky. So they've got this luxuriously refurbished Toyeti Gorge railway carriage, which has been completely swept up. It is total luxury. And the latest addition, a purpose-built fairground carousel, with a double bed that rotates with two prancing horses. Well, that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what we need, isn't it? Coming up, Mike talks to Steve Norris from Trips and Tramps, plus we highlight some more golden nuggets from across Southland. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Planning a great jaunt to the Great South this summer? From our southernmost city of Invercargill to the wider treasures of Stewart Island, the Catlins, Western Southland and the mesmerising wonders of Fiordland. Make your first stop the region's official websites, southlandnz.com and fiordland.org.nz. 
You're with Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Mike Yardley. Now, Trips and Tramps is a family-run small business based in Tiano, under the command of Stephen Kate Norris. If you're looking for a great taster of Fjordland's Call of the Wild this summer, look no further. These are the guys to see, Trips and Tramps. And joining us is Steve Norris. Welcome aboard, Steve. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise, Mike. Yeah, great to see you again. Now, Trips and Tramps seems to have become pretty much part of the landscape in Fjordland, very established. Give us the backstory on how Trips and Tramps came about. Yeah, there was a couple, um, Dave and Naomi Hughes, that started the business back in 1988. And I, I worked for them for 12 years. And about 2000 and always working out of my child's just turned 14. Uh, so that made 2007. <laughs> um, we bought the business <laughs> off Dave and Gnome. So I'd worked for 12 years previous and we've now owned a business for 15 years. Fantastic. And pre-COVID, Steve, was the core of your clientele international travellers to New Zealand or have you always had a bit of a domestic international mix? Uh, you know, to be fair, probably 95, 96% of our work pre-COVID would have been international. So um, there was always a handful of Kiwis, but, yeah, very much international dominated. And obviously, um, given recent events in the news, Australians are not going to be coming over to New Zealand this summer, it would appear. Uh, that must be a bit of a blow to the whole Fiordland visitor scene, I would imagine. Yeah, no, it has to be fair, Mike. It's, um, yeah, it's, it would have been great to see Aussies by, say, 1st of February, even the 1st of March, you know, would have given us two or three months of the summer season out of them. Uh, but they're not coming. We know that now until the 30th of April at the earliest. So at least we know that, and we can just concentrate on the domestic market and um, yeah. yeah, keep our fingers crossed for the Australians and other countries come 30 April. For sure. So in the two years that we've become far too accustomed with all things COVID, how embracing have Kiwis been of your experiences, Steve? Yeah, like to be, you know, we've been fortunate. You know, we've we've got a guided walk, a very good guided walk concession with the Department of Conservation. And as soon as COVID happened, we realised that we just looked at what we could offer, and um, we knew that New Zealanders like walking. So we put a package together called Three Great Walks in Three Days. So check one box, all taken care of, and that's certainly been embraced. We had about six hundred and fifty New Zealanders do it last summer, and we're hoping. For similar, if not more, this summer season, though, obviously the last eight to ten weeks of Auckland and other parts being in lockdown, is just slow bookings coming in. But we're hoping that'll kick off, you know, from now onwards. Fantastic. And of those three great walks, is the Milford Track, the day experience you do on the Milford, would that be the most popular walking option that people are going with? Certainly pre-COVID, the Milford Track was certainly, you know, we were taking up to 2,300 people a season on our little walk on the Milford Track, but it was predominantly, you know, of the international people and quite yeah. a few like Korean, Japanese, Taiwanese walking groups as well and, you know, European com companies as well. Um, I guess with the package we do, we're getting them on each track and the Milford Track's always been, you know, the most established, 130-plus years of advertising, you could say, um, so it's yeah. known. And I, I'd like to think it helps brings, brings people to our website because they uh, – they see the Milford track and, um, you know, click onto that for curiosity. What do you think defines the difference between Rootburn, Kepler and Milford? If there was one sort of defining attribute of each three, how would you encapsulate it? Well, I think the beauty of them, they are three totally different walks. You know, the Kepler track only started in the summer season of 87, 88, purpose-built track. 
um, with machinery, so very good walking conditions. Um, the Milford track obviously started in 1888, so um, a well-trodden track and um, plenty of plenty of good articles and stories been written on it to help promote it. And the Rootburn track, um, you know, one of the early walkways through the region, you know, even early Maori people. Um, so, yeah, a lot of history on that track also. Um, yeah, they're, they're very different. It's hard to pick one above the other. And to do the day walks with you guys, um, I would imagine you don't have to be as fit as a mountain goat, right? No, no. We just say to people, as long, I mean, you've got to be active. And when I say active, you don't you know, have to run 10K a day or anything like that. But you know, you've got to yeah. be active because the way to describe it is, I mean, it's manageable for 95% of people. And just the more training you've done, the more you're going to enjoy it, the less it's going to hurt. But yeah. if, if you're averagely fit, it, it's, it's fine. You know, when I say average, it's not super fit, just averagely fit, you, you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite of the three? Well, probably looking out my window behind me here, it's actually stunning blue sky day here in Fiordland, and the Kepler Halley hike is outstanding. You fly up to the hut, and you've got about five hours up in the open area with stunning vistas. Um, so if I was to lean one and it was a blue sky day, I'd say the um, Kepler track. Nice. And what about customised tours? You can essentially put together whatever people want, right? Correct, yeah. No, and, you know, again, pre-COVID, probably 25 to 30% of our work was private charters. And that's anything from just shifting people from Dunedin to Tiarnell, maybe doing a private tour to Milford Sound for them, maybe a private route burn walk. Um, so, yeah, we can always, you know, someone asked me once, what can you do? And I said, well, if you pay me, I'll take you to the moon. You know, <laughs> just because we're based in Tiarnell, we can we can go anywhere, you know. Um, but obviously, Fjordland's our backyard, so that's our experience. Absolutely. I know people who have um, had the whole trips and trams experience have said to me they are just so impressed with the passion, that sort of commanding knowledge uh, and an informality of your guides. And I always think that, you know, when it comes to a guided experience, it is that person that really makes the difference of the entire experience. Um, how tough is it to get really good guides in your part of the world? Well, we're quite fortunate in the respect that there's a lot of good local people that have, say, historically worked for guided walk companies in the area or worked for the Department of Conservation and maybe semi-retired now. And um, so they're quite happy. They love walking and they, you know, quite happy to just do it seasonally. And, and, you know, some of them only want to work two or three days a week. Some of them want to do four or five days a week. And, you know, like, you know, I say to people, it's the guide that makes the day. You can have a nice, comfortable vehicle, but people don't remember the vehicle, they remember the guide. And you know, we are very so lucky true. with the outstanding staff. Yeah. Conservation obviously runs very deep in the Norris family. Um, for you, Steve, how did the love affair begin with all things conservation? Well, I guess, I mean, I grew up tramping and um, up in Wellington in the Tararuas and came down here to Fiordland and... You know, in the early 90s, um, you know, there were lots of stoats about and rats, but not much was happening back then. And then, you know, just through the late 90s into early 2000, yes, people started you know, becoming a lot more aware of it. And, you know, back in 2003, we started doing voluntary um, stoat trapping right from the Cledar Valley, from the Homer Tunnel down to Milford Sound. And I guess it's like anything, if you're in the outdoors and you enjoy it, you know, you want to protect it as well. So it's just yeah. a natural hand-in-hand -hand relationship, I suppose. You know, we, we're happy. We've got a bit of time while the people on the boat cruise to race out and check some stoke traps. Um, we do them on the Kepler track through another organisation I'm involved with. And, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's It gives you a reason to go out for a walk as well. Absolutely. And, I mean, given how 
unrelenting that struggle is with predators and doing all of that pest trapping, have you noticed a discernible difference when it comes to bird life, bird activity um, of the native variety in the forest? Yeah, no, certainly on the Milford Sound area and the Claredale Valley that flows into Milford, you know, when we started back there in 2003, um, you know, I mean, there were birds around, but, you know, now if you go into that area, you know, a good example is, I don't know, maybe five, six years after we started doing it, they did a survey on the FIO, the blue duck, and they saw seven in the area, two of which were female. Yeah. Um, about 10 years later, they did another survey and they counted 57. So wow. um, we're not talking thousands, but it's going in the right direction and just by the numbers of stoats and rats we have you know caught in that area well they're declining i mean you're never going to get every last one but if you get them down to a level where the bird numbers are increasing you know that's that's what it's all about yeah it's a bit like covid really isn't it active suppression so (laughs) (laughs) By by the way have you have you ever seen a moose a moose? No, but I'm a believer. <laughs> you are a believer. Yeah, Have you I've seen evidence in, of moose activity? Yes, I've been in um, Wet Jacket Arm with Ken Tustin and Ron Peacock and uh, seen the browsing and, yeah, so um, it's a great, great field and story and uh, I'm quite <laughs> happy to say I'm a believer. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, I wish you um, a really prosperous summer, Steve, with Kiwis galore in Fiordland. If you want to check out the full slate of options, that you have with Steve and his team at Trips and Tramps. Just go to the website, Trips and Tramps, that is A-N-D, tripsandtramps.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve, and all the best. Cheers, Mike. Good to catch up again. Anytime. Finally on Kiwi Tripsters, let's take a swing a swing, is that what I can say? Through yes. some more summer nuggets across Southland uh, and also to Invercargill. Vroom, vroom to Invercargill, yes. The vroom, vroom. city's biggest calling card, Chris, would have to be the fact that it's sort of like a national garage. There is so many amazing world-beating collections um, to check out. You'll be blown away by the scale of these collections. Bill mm. Richardson's Transport World It is enthralling. It is a mammoth museum, and it doesn't just gleam and groan with trucks, but you've got your classic cars, combis, domestic machinery, all manner of quirky gems. I love how they've got this vintage paddy wagon, a police paddy wagon from Christchurch, circa 1925. They've got those fabulous vintage petrol bowsers, sort of like straight off Route 66 USA. Invercargill's first passenger bus, a vintage four-square truck that used to do deliveries. It looks very cool. And even the original yellow mini from Goodbye Pork Pie is parked up there. Now, Transport World also has a motorcycle museum as well. They do. And I furthered my engine fix at the sister exhibition. It's called Classic Motorcycle Mecca. Uh, Once again, it's a museum-worthy lineup of uh, exhibits, 302 wheelers in this museum. It's spread across two floors, all sorts of classic motorbike displays running the gamut from a 1902 Peugeot motorcycle to a 21st century Sims Corbin Custom. Lots of John Brisson motorbikes too. And uh, being in the cargo, classic motorcycle mecca also has a wonderful tribute uh, to Bert Munro. I like the sound of that. Now, um, what else is there in terms of Attractions, I suppose, in Invercargill, because there's there's so many too, right? There are. Dig this Invercargill is 
quite unique in New Zealand because this is owned by Transport World, but they opened New Zealand's first heavy equipment playground. And it's How cool is that? Dig this in Vicargill. So this Chris, sounds like a bit of me. If you are in like a perhaps destructive mood, mm. this is the place to go because you can let rip and have a go driving heavy machinery. Your bulldozers, your diggers, your graders – um, and skid steers and a giant gravel pit. You can even crush a car. Maybe Judith Collins yes. could revisit some political history. Excellent. And take this in Vicargo to get over losing the leadership. Um, it's expertly supervised with hands-on instructors, so they'll take you through the paces before they let you um, out on your own in these massive machines. But you will come away from this smashingly good time feeling like a glorified heavy machinery operator only in Invercargill. And once you've dug some dirt, yes. uh, where's a good place to stay for the night? Well, Transport World, once again, have come to the party. They have got this fabulous wing of uh, luxurious home-away-from-home apartments. They're actually called the Lodges at Transport World. So they're like these little stylish sanctuaries, and each one is very individualistic because it's um, themed with a Kiwiana motif. So you could stay, for example, in the Feathers Lodge, the Stag Lodge, the Lollies Lodge, and then all throughout the decor, it is themes along those lines. Beautifully done. It's really, really thoughtful the way they've done it. Lightly styled, but very effective. Um, and you've got your high-end, eco-friendly toiletries, heated floors. The nice. bathrooms themselves would make a Roman emperor blush, and the living rooms <laughs> are just blissed out comfort. It really is a cool place. Sounds good. What about further afield, so perhaps sort of west of Invercargill? Well, I only went west of Invercargill for the first time time in my life a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in love with this wildly popular seaside village of Riverton. So it's about 20 minutes west of Invercargill. The locals call it the Riviera of the South, and there is so much history in Riverton. It was one of the earliest European settlements in New Zealand. Um, they are now home to a really eclectic mix of artists and fishermen. Um, it's a dramatically picturesque Riverton between the, the estuary and the sweeping coastline, gorgeous beaches, and the main street is so quaint with all these old-fashioned shop fronts, lots of artist studios uh, to check out. You know, your potters and your painters and your weavers and your carvers. Uh, Tahikoi Museum on the main street is probably one of New Zealand's best small museums. They do a really good job telling the story of Riverton's unique integration between Māori and early European settlers here in the south. And for art buffs, gore is actually quite unmissable. Absolutely. And this is a work in progress in some ways because underway in the heart of gore is what they call the Maruawai Project. A lot of provincial growth fund money has been sunk into this. It's like a multi-million dollar upgrade of gore's cultural pre and opening at the end of January, the all-new Hokanui Moonshine Museum. They have their own distillery on site. How cool is that? I saw the still, got a sneak peek of the still a couple of weeks ago. Um, so the museum uh, is a very immersive encounter. Not only will you learn about Gore's storied history and illicit grog, but as I say, they have a distillery on site. And then a di- directly across the road, uh, the Eastern Southland Gallery, which Art lovers go utterly gaga over. Kevin Roberts of Saatchi's fame, he dubbed this gallery the Gorgonheim because 
There are so many priceless New Zealand artworks in this gallery. And Little Gore, um, a stirring collection of artworks from the likes of Rita Angus and Theo Schoon. In fact, there are 60 pieces alone from Ralph Hotary. So it's an incredible gallery for art lovers. Love the sound of this. Anything else before we head off? Well, there's plenty more to do in uh, Southland. Just very quickly, if you like your sausages, when you're checking out Western Southland, keep going west from Riverton to the sausage capital of New Zealand, Tuatapiti. Had no idea. There you go. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us on Kiwi Tripsters. Hope you enjoyed that, particularly the, the sausage fest at the end there. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Just a wee sizzler to finish with. Be sure mm. to like our Facebook page and our show notes are available on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. By the way, our companion articles on Southland and Fiordland are available at fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, don't forget to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And we'll catch you soon for our final episode of the year. Happy Christmas shopping. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.